Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I was an accessory to a classic email phishing scam. We all know these phishing scams, right? These are things that HR and IT departments make us watch videos about at work. Someone got into our church directory and created an email address that looked a lot like mine, but wasn't, and then started emailing people in the parish pretending to be me and asking for some immediate help. I'm telling you, if I need Amazon gift cards or I want to send Bitcoin to Ukraine, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> What's so deceptive about these phishing scams is that they make something look very much like the real thing, but isn't. The email address the scammers created looked very close to my actual All Souls email address, but it wasn't. They even signed the emails very close to how I actually usually sign my emails, but, but not exactly. I don't say, in Christ's love, that's a little too squishy for me. <laughs> and this is how, presumably, these scams end up being successful at times. They, they dupe someone into thinking that the message is legitimate, that the email is original, and that what's being requested for is real. But actually, it isn't. It's a fake. It's a lie. It's a deception. And I think, in part, what St. Paul is talking about in our reading from Colossians this morning is that he's giving us a warning against a phishing scheme. Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul's saying, don't even bother with these fake messages from earth. Just think about the truth, the real message from God that is from above. And the real message is that Christ has died and Christ has risen. And this means that we too have been raised from death to new life in Christ. Now when you watch those videos from HR, they tell you that the best way to catch a phishing email is to study real legitimate ones. If you had studied and really knew my email address was james.arcadi at allsouls.com, then when you saw an email from someone from jarcadi.allsouls at gmail.com, you'd know, hang on a second, that doesn't look real. There's something fishy about this. The most deceptive lies are the ones that are so close, close to the truth. And so then what is the truth that our feast today commemorates? The truth is that Christ has really been raised from the dead and has thus been elevated to the heavenly places. And this message is not from some imposter email. This truth is from eyewitnesses to the empty tomb itself. Luke tells us this morning how Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who had followed Jesus came to the tomb that first Easter morning. They had been eyewitnesses to the crucifixion. The previous chapter, Luke 23, describes how they had seen Jesus' body be taken off the cross. They had seen how Joseph of Arimathea had taken the body and laid it in a nearby tomb. And they had gone home after that tomb had been sealed in order to prepare burial spices for Jesus' body and to wait for the Sabbath to be over before returning to attend to his body. Only, as chapter 24 tells us, when they got to the tomb, they saw that the body of Christ was not there. And instead, there were angels who said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? These women then told the apostles, and we hear of St. Peter running to the tomb to see for himself that the tomb was empty. 
And Christ would later appear to Peter and to the other apostles, proving that he indeed had risen from the dead. And we hear the sermon in Acts 10 that, pre- that, that Peter preached, a sermon where he recounts this truth when he says, we all, witness, we all were witnesses of all that Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. These eyewitnesses were the original communicators of the truth about Christ. Check their addresses. They're legit. The true message is that the tomb is empty and Christ has been raised from the dead. And this opens up for us new ways of thinking about the world. And this is what I think Paul is beginning to elucidate in Colossians. Hear it again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So here's the situation I think Paul's describing. Paul's saying here that if we're aligned with Christ, then we are with him in all that he has done. Paul says elsewhere in Romans 6, he says, we were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been joined with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul's saying that Christians who have embraced Christ and are aligned with Christ are joined with Christ through baptism into his death and his resurrection. So Paul says here in Colossians, if I might change the conditional slightly, since you've been raised with Christ, and since Christ is seated at the right hand of God, then you can focus your thoughts on those things that are above. But, but what's this deal with Christ being seated at the right hand of God, and how is that supposed to help us? Well, I think we can see here something of the completion of a circuit, like a circuit of Christ coming from the heights, descending to the depths, and then returning back to the heights. So here's perhaps how this works. So Christ is God, and as God, Christ is the, the highest, the, the, the best, the, the beyondest of all. And in the incarnation, Christ took a step of descent. He came down from heaven and was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, as our liturgy says. But the incarnation was but the first step in a, in a descent. Christ descended further into his identification with us humans and our plight by succumbing to death, even a death that would have made him cursed. And then even further, if Christ is to be the renewer of all of creation, if the entire cosmos is to find its redemption in Christ, if the, if the possibility of salvation is to be open to all humans, then Christ must go deeper lower, and further to the very depths of any human's experience. And this is, I think, his descent to the dead, as the Apostles' Creed puts it. Only then, once Christ does this, only then is he able to bring about this elevation process, the ascent that brings with him all the whole world. Paul, again, here in Ephesians, comments on this ascent and descent motif. Paul writes, what does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Paul here elucidates this logic, we might say, regarding Christ's descent and ascent. Christ, who's from the heights, descended to the depths of the earthly human experience. 
And then has Christ ascended back to the heights of heaven at the right hand of God. So when we are joined with Christ through baptism, we join with him on completing this circuit. I sort of imagine it's like Christ swooping down from heaven in the incarnation and getting all the way to the bottom of the earthly life in his death and descent to the dead, and then catching us up with him and swooping us back up to the heavenly places where we sit at the Father's right hand, where we lift up our hearts. Then it is because of this circuit and because of our being joined with him that we can do what Paul is asking us to do. We can set our minds on the things that are above, where we are with Christ. So Paul has set up this dichotomy between focusing our thoughts on earthly things or on heavenly things. And he's saying that the earthly things, those are a scam. That's the deception. The heavenly things are where it's at. That's where Christ is, and that's where we who are aligned with him are as well. The earthly things that Paul tells us to avoid thinking about, these are the the fake messages that get caught in our conceptual inboxes all the time. And our minds are bombarded with these fake messages, messages that are trying to lure us into thinking that the most valuable things are the earthly things. We've got to be vigilant about our conceptual spam filters, if you will. We have to check the messages. What are they saying and where are they from? We get a message that says something like, oh, he who has the most toys wins. Check the address. That's not from God. That's a scam. You get a message that says, you have to have a million dollars by the time you retire. Check the address. That's a scam. Our high school students get a a message that says, you have to go to an Ivy League school to get on the path of success. Check the address. That's a scam. Or you get a message that says your wealth, your retweets, your publications, your spring break destinations, these are the things to put your hope in. Check the address. That's a scam. The true message from God is that Christ has been raised from the dead, and all those aligned with him are to set our minds on the things that are above, where Christ now is. Now, as I mentioned, I think that the best way to spot the fake emails is to study the legitimate ones. And so for us, regarding the messages of the earthly things versus the heavenly things, the best way to be sure we aren't being duped into believing earthly things is to constantly place heavenly things before our minds. And I think we know that some of the best ways to push ideas deep into our minds is to hear or read them in song or in verse. The Pascha Nostrum is a canticle or a song that we have in our prayer book that, that to me succinctly and beautifully expresses some of these truths about the resurrection that are so fundamental to the real message from God. In the first Anglican prayer books and in our prayer book, uh, it's instructed that this canticle be said at morning prayer all throughout Eastertide. So I'd like to encourage us this Easter season to use this song as a way of holding before our minds the legitimate truths that the women and Peter and Paul have communicated. Again, Pascha Nostrum, it's in your prayer book, or you can look it up. It's a cobbling together of passages from Romans and 1 Corinthians, and I'll end with it here. Alleluia! Christ our Passover has been, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Alleluia. Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Alleluia. 
Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Alleluia. Amen. <laughs>